G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, this is the pre-round 19 audio version of the Footyology Podcast. Uh, good morning, Mark Fine. Good morning, Rohan. Uh, big week in football of sounding like Eddie Maguire, but it is every day at the moment is a, a big day in footy, but it's basically all about the one theme, that is rule changes. Not, well, not rule changes according to Gil. Oh, a game adjustments. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, Steve Hocking was big on that too. Uh, I think we can't avoid talking about this. It's it's a massive story. And we did say a few weeks ago, this is a story that really does matter. Um, and I think if there was any doubt, I think, among the football public that, um, you know, this actually was a big deal, I think the penny has dropped now because it's become increasingly obvious that uh, these things are going to happen for next year, rightly or wrongly. So... Okay, yesterday, uh, yesterday being Wednesday, big day, um, a big day on several fronts. The competition committee missed to further discuss those changes, but it was given an extra few gallons of kerosene on the already smouldering fire, I'd suggest, by Gil McLaughlin, who went on uh, Waitley's show on SEN yesterday morning and said the following... Um, I think Jared just threw up as a, you know, a bit of a teaser. Uh, you know, would you think about trialling rule changes this year? And he said, we're certainly thinking about it. I can tell you there is three fixtures on consecutive weekends that I don't think will have any bearing on the eight as we stand today. Uh, and he followed that up with, I don't think there is any risk to the integrity of the comp. Well, uh, I must say, I was one of the people that heard that and just about drove off the road, and it sparked, uh, fair to say, a pretty angry reaction from a vast majority of the football world, including, I am told, um, people actually at AFL headquarters, uh, perhaps in the corporate uh, affairs and communications team, who suddenly knew that they'd be fighting fires for the rest of the day. It was interesting by the time Steve Hocking addressed the media after the committee had met about, I think it was about 5.30 or thereabouts, um, he had fire hose in hand, I think it's fair to say, and um, it had seemed to be dialed back a notch, i.e. the some of the trials that will happen this year are far more likely to happen in lower leagues. Uh, the NEFL, I think, is one where they're talking about uh, perhaps giving it a go. Um Hawking also used the phrase, uh, he thought there should be a level of calmness about the game adjustments. So I think, uh, just reading between the lines, I think the AFL might have been a bit taken back at the severity of the reaction. What I wanted to throw up, um, oh, sorry, one, one more newsy point here is it, it appears, just talking to a few people yesterday about this, um, my, my understand, my understanding, is that the the six 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 formation thing at centre bounces is probably the most likely thing to come in of those mooted changes? I think things like the goal squares and whatever. There's a lot of work to be done there. What I'm pleased to say is also likely to be part of this is quicker ball ups. Now uh, I'll get your input in a sec, Finey. I, I wrote a column about this, which is on the Footyology website. If you want to have a look. Um, I think it's important when you're talking about quicker ball-ups to not just talk about that in terms of after the whistle blows, the dis the um, time taken from the whistle blowing to the ball going up in the air. When I'm talking about quicker ball-ups, I'm talking primarily about how quickly the umpire decides a scrimmage won't end and calls for the ball-up. So there's an important difference there. Sorry, that was a fairly long prologue, but what did you make of it all? Okay, so I read your article on footyology, 
and I agree entirely. You give the very good example of a game in the mid-80s between Essendon and Collingwood and a couple of moments in that game where basically two players had brought the ball to a dead stop and before the cavalry could uh, arrive for either team, the umpire was in throwing the ball up. The key to that is the end of nominating Ruckman because... Yes. Oh, yeah, no, that has to go. Yeah. You can't be asking, who's going to ruck? Is it you? Is it you? Yeah. So that ends. Uh, also, the umpire sort of saying, I'm going to come out at a 45-degree angle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just remember, you know, I watched a lot of footy. I watched all the footy during that era. You know, umpires quickly striding in, striding in. And I think they used to throw it up a lot when that was the case, you know. Even taking a... Cause, Young people, we used to bounce the ball around the ground. Well, we did until three years ago. Yeah, even bouncing the ball around the ground, sort of the preparation for a bounce, uh, the umpire sort of, you know, clearing a little area and then giving it an earnest bounce, uh. just doesn't give you the sense of urgency of back in the 80s and 70s, an umpire striding in there, picking it up and just on one palm, tossing it up in the air, almost saying, you know, we're moving this thing on. Yeah. It, it it not only is a practical way of keeping the game going, it shows a level of intent by the umpire with all of his, back in the day, individual or as a team now, three of them, their intent to keep it moving. So things like if there were two consecutive bounces, there was an expectation that a free would be paid. Remember that? Yeah. Remember the, you know, he's going to pluck one here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to clear the area. Yeah, and and uh, so you agree with me on this? 100%. It okay. works. It, yeah. it, it's not a matter of agreeing. The fact is, obviously, the quicker you the quicker you blow the whistle, throw the ball up in the air, the less people are going to converge around the ball. Yep. Now, um, just again, for people that haven't read this piece or looked at the video, I think it's really important you watch this video. So... Go to Footyology. Uh, I'm trying to remember the headline. I wrote on it, actually, that it was... Oh, that's right. The headline is, Rule Changes. Why don't we at least give this a go first? It's a 10-minute clip, or it's a 9-minute clip. And I, I just plucked that game at random. I, I remembered very little about that game until I watched it. Um, but two moments. One at, uh, I think, about four minutes into the clip. 4.50 and 6.05. Yeah, okay, thank you. And uh, the first one is uh, Collingwood's uh, Gordon Sumner. No, not the guy from the police. Who I know. Oh, okay. I, well, I spent a couple of years at Sylvan Footy Club. <laughs> I knew there'd been a side. Yeah, go oh, on. Well, why not? Yeah. Um, and Gordon was at Sylvan Footy Club. Okay. Really knock about, he coached there, you know, really knock about, decent bloke, quite quiet. And do you know what his nickname is? Sting. Gordo. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Should be Sting, shouldn't it? Of course. You'd just think it was a natural um, to call him Sting. Well, anyway, it's a, it's an incident with uh, Sting and Alan Ezard. And uh, very, very quickly, uh, umpire Dennis Rich, with one in, uh, blows the whistle, comes in, bounces down, play takes off. The second one is even more interesting because um, it's... Tony Shaw and Tim Watson. so Dropping the ball, Watson. F- fair to say. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No, so Watson, prior to this moment, just prior to this moment, he's tackled. The ball spills free. It should have been holding the ball. Umpire calls play on. But then Tony Shaw, uh, Watson goes to ground to try to regather the ball. Tony Shaw also dives back on the ball. I think Shaw, he cops one on the head on the way through, which is always a good thing. Just joking, Shaw. And uh, Watson and Shaw both got a hand on the ball. It doesn't, well, it does come out. That's the thing. It doesn't come out in, it's less than a second. Umpire Ian Robinson blows a whistle, walks straight in, as you said, Finey, bounces it down. Now, it actually does come out. Tim Watson ends up getting the ball out. And had it been allowed to go another half second, he would have actually got that out. But the point uh, in both cases is that there isn't time for, in the first one, I think there's three players standing around. But they don't have time to converge on the contest before the umpire's got the ball in his hands and is balling it up. Do you know what, do you know what I thought looking at that? There, there, there was almost a, and the public hadn't been made aware of this, there'd almost been a decision by the umpiring fraternity, fraternity, if the ball stops moving and there are two players fighting for that ball, as soon as the ball is dead, it's a ball up. Yeah. You know, because that second one, the ball could have come out. Yeah. 
you know, it wasn't as though the ball was buried between them. No, no, it was, it was instantaneous correct, almost. But it had stopped moving and both players were on the ball. Yeah. Had, had to touch the ball. Yeah. So anyway, look, w- watch this clip. See what you think of those two incidents. Read the piece. Now, here's the thing for a couple of things. I, I need to make this point, right? People will ask, well, why do umpires now let it go longer? I had a fairly uh, lengthy debate, and it wasn't an argument. It was, it was a, like a debate with Jeff Geeshan when he was umpire's director. And I reckon this is about 2005, and the time frame's important. And I was even then on this hobby horse about why are the umpires letting the play go on and on for so long? And I remember he was very much of the view that this would prevent that if, if they let, allowed play to unfold in the hope the ball came out this would prevent a secondary stoppage. And that was their great paranoia that secondary stoppages absorb more time and more players converged and you couldn't clear the ball. Now, in 2005, I reckon that was probably a valid argument. I don't think that can still apply in 2018 because even between 05, and remember, that was when the Swans started playing, that congested footy, won a flag. If you looked even from then to now, I think you'd see a big difference. So allowing the play to unfold for seconds and seconds and seconds is just more bees around the honeypots, the analogy I like to use. So I think that that argument is now uh, an anachronism. And I think this is what I honestly believe, finally, this is why this has happened, because umpiring decided thir- 12, 13 years ago, this is a principle. We don't want secondary stoppages. I'm saying now that you're more likely to have that because there are more players converging. So go back a step from that philosophy to the philosophy that was at play in the 1980s. That's one point I wanted to make. The second point is I'm not I'm not completely against uh, game adjustments per se because I think that football as a spectacle has deteriorated. I, I'm definitely in that camp. However... What really concerns me is the possibility of them bringing in up to half a dozen at once. It's too much, and it doesn't enable you to, particularly without a sufficient trial period, the trial period should be a year, that's another debating point, but if you don't do this one at a time, how do you know which of those six adjustments is having the primary impact on clearing the game up? So, with this quicker ball-ups, just go with quicker ball-ups. See how that impacts. If it doesn't impact enough, you bring in the second one. You bring, Then you bring in the third one. But you don't bring in half a dozen at once so that if it does have a profound impact, you're then left going, which of these adjustments actually is having the biggest impact? No, logic, logic ruling there. I've got four changes to the game yeah. that you can stagger in introduction yeah. to reduce crowding. Yeah. One is quicker ball ups. Yeah. Asterisk paying a free kick against a player if his hands are free, so being more vigilant on hands free and the player then pulling the ball back into himself to encourage the stoppage. Yeah. Two. Any stoppage in the centre square, the bounce down or the throw up is the centre square to be cleared again with four per side. Now, that, yeah. would require, that would require a centre circle and then two smaller circles halfway between the centre circle and the line. Because you can't have a stoppage right on the line. So like the old three circles three we circles. used to have. So we if, used to have that, by the way. If you're, if, you're attacking, if you're attacking and it's a ball up, then it goes to the attacking small circle. Yeah. Do you understand how yeah, that yeah. works? Yeah, yeah. But always only four people in the middle for those ball-ups. Yep. All boundary throw-ins to be taken. The boundary umpire to throw the ball from 15 metres in. Yep. So we don't get secondary boundary throw-ins, which yep. are a big pro- problem. Yeah. And the final one is, from a kick-in, no marks to be paid inside 50. Now, that doesn't mean a player can't kick to his own man inside 50, but it becomes play-on. It'll encourage longer kickouts from the kick-ins, but it stops this clog in the back pocket, the little 10-metre kick yeah. to the back pocket, 
It's a variation, I suppose, on no mark if you kick backwards. Yeah. It's but, just but, working the other yeah, direction. Yeah, so from... Don't we find the most exciting kick-ins is when a team is down by five yes. points and, and they, they barrel it back. down the middle? Yeah, absolutely. So there'll yeah. be more of those. Yeah. Or if they're kicking short, it's going to be play on action because this one's not as much about conjecture, but the other great bane of football supporters, and that is tipping the ball around the back line. Yeah. So no marks inside 50 from kick-ins. Yeah, I, I, all of those things you've suggested, I can see a clear rationale for it. Can I just uh, just one um, it, uh, light bulb went on when you said that the um, any stoppage in a centre square has got to be four per side, so yeah. you clear the centre square again. What do you think of the idea of just four per team in the square until the ball clears the centre square? Okay, that's I've, I've heard that it's hard to police. You see, if Is the it? balls yeah, well, if the ball's on one side and the players are waiting to come in from the other side, yeah. How do they know when it crosses the plane, crosses that line? Yeah, that's true. And who and who umpires that? Yeah, yeah. It's all right if you're in a helicopter above. Yeah, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. That's great for a TV fan to be yeah. able to watch it. But having umpired, I just don't know how, you know, and... Yeah, it'd be too difficult if you're a player on the other side of the square. To, or to the know. umpire. Yeah. Yeah, no, to, that's, to, a, that's a fair point. That's to a fair to point. see all those things. It'd be great to police it. Now, there is one way to do it. And it's going to happen sooner or later. The only way these things really work is not to be umpired. Every player is going to have to have, at some point, and don't laugh at this, there's going to be a time when every player will have in their Guernsey a small GPS embedded. And those, if we want to have starting positions and those sort of things, then, you know, a buzzer will go off if a player is in the wrong yeah, zone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which makes sense. Which makes sense. You know, technology will make all of those things and your thing possible. Yeah. Oh, look, I think it's. I think it's important. A player gets an electric shock. Imagine that <laughs> every time you're in the wrong. Thing. Ah! Oh! Yeah, could have some. Could have some human rights organisations on our on our tail. <laughs> it's fantastic. I think it's important to note with this stuff that and and you can yeah look you know everyone was piling on Gil yesterday, including me for the, for that sort of. What I'd like to think was a thought bubble that he'd probably take back. But everyone contributing here is contributing because they have an interest in seeing the game at its healthiest and most aesthetically pleasing. Um, Now, we've got to wind the segment up very quickly because, one, I had a lot of reaction to this column on footyology and quite a number of people agreed with me about how exciting that 10 minutes of footy was. Quite a, a number of people also said they thought the skills were terrible and that Carlton today would thrash either of those teams. Um, and then th- this is why, <laughs> this is why it wasn't as simple as, um, wasn't as simple as quicker ball ups because the skills now, the, the play remained open largely because so many targets were missed. Now I reckon that was, that's sort of overcooking it a bit, but, I don't. I, did you find that ten-minute passage of play? Because I watched it, and and I've, I watched lots of old footy, but I watched that, and I thought, "Geez, this is exciting!" And play has barely stopped. This is a great irony about footy today. Finding the skill level is better, the fitness is better. By those sort of measures, the game should be faster, but it's slower. The game as a whole is much, much slower than it was in the nineteen eighties. The skill level is not better. You don't think so? No. The grounds, we're playing virtually either indoor football or on pristine grounds. Well, that ground in that game was okay. I'm saying, but it still was an outdoor game with whatever can, you know, whatever wind was prevailing with a single football. The ball used at the start of the game was the ball used at the end of the game unless it was lost with less interchange. So players tired. It was only the start of the interchange era, I believe. They were still being used more like reserves. Mm. And all the commensurate drops in of skill Mm. that come with being more tired, wind, heavier grounds, even if they weren't wet, the grounds, you know, they were heavier, if you know what I mean, with soil. So when we now apologise bad goal kicking because the forward has run a mile yeah, before yeah. he's taken the shot of goal. If that is a an accepted fact of modern football, 
then don't you understand that right around the ground, a more tired, heavy-legged footballer is more likely to make mistakes than, than somebody that's been on and off the interchange recuperating? Yeah, no, I think it's a fair argument. All right, look, we've got to wind it up. Just a final, very final point. Uh, one of the reactions I got off Twitter to this piece was a guy, and I understand his argument. He was saying, um, I can't think of another sport that would deliberately attempt to thwart tactical innovation and uh, thus reduce the um, the growth of the game in order to try to take it back to a standard it was at 30 years ago. Wrong. Well, no, I I'm, I passionately disagree with that premise because I think the uh, aesthetic appeal is the number one thing, and if that means making the tactical innovation less um, able to happen, I think that's a good thing. No, he's wrong. What it, do you mean he's wrong? Cricket in the nineteen thirties, that body line series was a a tactic used yeah. to attack the batsman, but yeah. it also required players at fine leg, deep backward square leg, short leg. So they changed the rules that you're only allowed two players behind square leg yeah. to stop a barrage of onside bowling. Rule change to thwart a tactic. Yeah, and the interesting thing too is a tactic that I don't think led to very aesthetically pleasing cricket. Same with padding up outside leg stump. Yeah. so He used to be allowed to. So Rule change. So maybe we're arguing that tactical innovation actually is to the detriment of the aesthetic appeal of a sport. No, no, it improved the aesthetic appeal. Tactical innovation? Yeah. No. Oh, not tactical innovation. No, countering tactical the, innovation. So you Don't confuse it. So you yeah. are agreeing with me. Tactic, 100%, 100%. Tactical innovation thwarts the aesthetics of a sport. I'm saying, but the guy said he couldn't think of a sport. Yeah, yeah. Well, we just did. Um, anyway, interesting discussion. I reckon I'm tipping we're going to be having a lot more of it. Uh, time to move on. On Footyology Media Watch. Ah, yes, the segment uh, I'm reliably informed all the uh, movers and shakers listen to intently, Finey. They do. <laughs> so, but we will not be silenced. No, I'm not scared. Like of? You know, of the ramifications of speaking the truth about the media. Uh, I am, but <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm not. Uh, no, well, I, I don't think, uh, I certainly don't uh, resile from anything we've said on this segment. I, and, uh, well, I was going to say, you, you know me, I know you. Hopefully people know us reasonably well. We're not two guys that are known for uh, curbing their opinions on things. So we will remain fearless seekers of the media we will, truth. We will not curb our enthusiasm. Ah, very good. One of my favourite shows. Uh, just quickly, too, as we um, as we are recording this, the news just filtering through, uh, a huge news in media terms, Fairfax, mile company, finally merging with Channel 9. Well, merger could be in inverted commas because... Sounds like Nine having the majority share. Uh, the company will be called Nine, and uh, wow, a TV sta- major TV station with major, major uh, newspaper organisations. How is that going to pan out? All irrelevant for the future. What do you mean? On Friday night, my daughter and a friend of hers, eleven-year-old, are going to the Palais or the Palace, yeah, to see a concert, yeah, of a YouTube family. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't play music. Yeah. What do they do? They're just going to come out on stage and be a YouTube family. I've got no idea. They're traveling the world. They're just a family yeah. that's on YouTube. Yeah, no, I know. I, well, I could tell this story. I think I have told the story on this show about Gracie's world. Now, um, Gracie, uh, if anyone's familiar with that, it's a, a girl who creates storylines using Barbie dolls. Yeah. And Mattel picked it up and, she, and Gracie who's about nine years old isn't it well, she is Gracie is a relation of Simon Madden yeah yeah um, and he was telling me last year about this about how um, yeah no I couldn't agree more yeah no the mass media is in, is in huge trouble and hence why increasingly these major players are coming together I mean just last week Fairfax and News Corp announced that they were going to share printing presses in Sydney so, um, yeah, tough times for the media. Anyway, I just thought I'd drop that in there because that is 
I mean, if you do have an interest in the fourth estate, that is a major, major news story. I went to, I, my wife said, can you drop her off and do you know where the palace is? And I thought to myself, I went to Monkey at the palace. Do you know what Monkey was? Oh, uh, the Japanese guy. No, 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 no. It was a... No, wasn't that a, a show, Monkey? Yeah, yeah, it was a show. I went to Monkey at the palace. Monkey was a, a sort of monthly or occasional um, dance night. Oh, no, I'd never heard of it. Yeah, well, it was full on. Really? So yeah. the palace being... Down on next lower, to Park. lower Esplanade. Yeah, yeah, okay. No, I went there quite a lot. Yeah, this was an all-night... So how, how long ago is this? Oh, 15 years ago. All-night, 20 years ago. I was married then. 23 years ago. I'm trying to put it into a period when I wasn't married, just to save my current marriage. Um, yeah, it was sort of progressively taking your clothes off and anything goes. Right. And, and now they've got YouTube families up on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, YouTube's what, massive. What's the... Hell in a handbasket, my friend. Hell in a handbasket. Well, it certainly changed the dynamic. I do worry about the sort of content that is popular on YouTube. I mean, you know, we, again, the one I always bring up and teenage kids, uh, uh, idols of this, um, guy, uh, I've just forgotten. Oh, PewDiePie, the Swedish yeah. gamer. He sits there and tape videos himself playing games and talking. And, uh, I, I've watched a couple of minutes of him and, uh, I remember saying to my son and my stepson, you know, is he funny? No, no, not really. I mean, is it, you know, is there any cutting, cutting edge commentary? No, no. We should, we should do a YouTube show, us commentating on the commentary as it happens. Well, one of, actually, if you, if you buy DVDs of sitcoms and whatever, you know, that you can watch it with the commentary. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're often really funny, you know, like with, um, we should do one South we should, Park and stuff. We should stuff just like. comment on, you know, Bruce and BT and all of them. And... <laughs> that's a great idea, actually. Uh, except we'll get sued for using the footage. Yeah. Um, because they're very territorial about that. Anyway, um, moving right along. I did want to bring up in Moody Watch this week, uh, this issue about player access. Um, and there are different ways that operates, but I, I guess I'm talking here more about TV. Um, and you might have noticed this season, and it seems to have occurred as the season has gone on, more and more interviews with players on the ground as they're walking off at half time, um, players sitting on the bench. We saw the other week. Yeah, Rich, um, the coach. Yeah, and that was good. Don't, don't, oh, this isn't a total bag session. So yeah, uh, when St Kilda beat Carlton, I think, um, they had, they had, uh, Richo and Richo. They had Richo Spot in the on. box talking to Richo, Alan Richardson, and they had it on, on the bench. He was, sorry. Um, and so things like that. I, I think, um, my view is it's sort of gone a bit too far that I think the networks and Fox footy have done this a bit too. They've become pretty self-congratulatory about a 10-second interview with a guy going, so what's got to happen here, Trav? Well, you know, we've really got to uh, re regroup our structures, really fell out of place there. We need to stick to our systems and, uh, you know, really regroup for a big second half. Okay, good on you, mate. Thanks. And, of course, the obligatory handshake with the former player just to show that they've got cred because they were once a player. Um, and every time you see one of those things now, it goes back to the post or the studio or whatever and goes, oh, well, isn't that incredible access? And, oh, taking the viewers right down the jockstrap, that is amazing, amazing TV. Uh, I get the impression that a lot of the punters are sitting there going, yeah, I can sort of take or, or leave this, really, because let's be honest, the players in those moments don't really have a lot to contribute in the way of cutting-edge analysis. Now, how do you feel about it? Yeah, they're not going to give you much. There is this... I wonder what when it actually happened. I, I reckon Sheedy might have been involved once, or even before Sheedy Barassi, of a comment by a player in the press and getting copies of that newspaper and cutting it out and putting it all around the dressing room. You know, this is what they said about oh, us. I used to have it all the time. Okay, but who, who was the first, Barass? Oh, I reckon Alan Killigrew did it when he was coaching North Melbourne and St Kilda in okay, the 50s. Okay, all right, oh, but I'm just saying, ever since then there's been this paranoia about not saying anything derogatory about the opposition in any way or form to give them ammunition. ammunition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now... We hear in-house after games, 
that a side can be down at three-quarter time, but they get into the huddle. And I, you know this. I've played footy, you know. Mate, you know, everybody gets in, and you're almost on the same page. We're going to win this. You know, we, there were signs in that quarter. You'd love to hear that. You'd love to hear at three-quarter time, uh, Mike under the... And it has to be the right question. You can't ask Dorothy Dixes. You've got to ask a question and, and say, look, you're 21 points down on the scoreboard, yeah. but the momentum changed in that quarter. Yeah. And here the player, I really reckon we can win this. You know, yeah. I'm going to get in there. We're going to get in there with the boys, but do not worry about the scoreboard. We are coming. Well, now, that would be exciting. Yeah, it? yeah. And I think the uh, that's a good point. And I think the huddle speeches that uh, you hear about over the years tend to be those ones. When you were saying that, the one that immediately popped into my head was Essendon three-quarter time in the 84 grand final because yep. they were 23 points yep, down. Yep, yep, yep. And yet you talk to the – or have sp- spoken to so many of those Essendon players and it was the mood was one of complete positivity. Yeah, correct. Whereas, interestingly, at the Hawthorne huddle, and you talk to Plough and Rocket yep. and these guys about it. They were it, dead on their feet. Well, they were dead on their feet, but there was also yep. a bit of squabbling going on about yep. who's who's on who. Yeah, and, yep, yep. Um, and – uh, Alan Jones apparently spent a fair bit of that speech sort of you know sorting things out, and there was just a bit bit of disorganisation. Interestingly, um, two nights ago on YouTube, I, I uh, I've already seen this, but the the film on the Bulldogs premiership, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I've just had a brain explosion. The uh, better year of the dog. Uh, it's it, no, it's a great doco. It's real Hilarious. fly on the wall stuff. But you actually. You hear um, Luke Beveridge's address at three-quarter time to the huddle. Yeah. Um, and it's fairly it's fairly mundane sort of stuff, really. Um, something about we're in the fire or, you know, something like that. But, but, uh, but can I just say, for this to work best, my fear is, and I know this happens, that interview's also shown on the big screen. Yeah. At the ground. Yeah. Stop doing that. If you want to give better access to the viewers at home... Yeah. You're going to get something a lot better than a player's not going to say, "Look, we're right in this. We just got a sense towards that quarter. We're running them off their feet." They're not going to say that if it's on the big screen. Yeah. The opposition is hearing, "What? Well, hang on, we're not being run off our feet." <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the opposition can send someone over and have them do a rebuttal to the scoreboard <laughs> as well. Hang on a second, but, but imagine that—that that they're all the opposition's walking in. Shut up! Shut up! They're talking about us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a bit like you know the number of, you know, players does something and looks around to have a look on the scoreboard. You know, it's the it's the media rage. Um, player, yeah, I can name the players that do it. Yeah, oh, I think a lot of them do, don't they? You often see them looking up at the score. Jack Rewalt's a big one for looking at the score. Oh, that's exactly who I was thinking about. Jack, he just looks up. Yeah. Not for a free kick, no. just to see if you... But I think... How, how did I kick that In goal? fact, one of the good ads on Fox Footy is that one, there's a whole thing about the dark arts, and there's one where they, a whole lot of them sort of pretend, you know, they practice sort of kicking a goal and then sneakily looking up at the screen. It's my, quite My favourite is when Bankman tells the umpire to look up. Yeah. And they show the replay, and the umpire was clearly correct. Yeah. <laughs> and the Bankman just stands and puts his arm in there. He doesn't apologise or anything. Anyway, look, player access. I, I guess, what a point am I making? I'm, I'm not. So, I, I think as a concept, it's quite good, but I, I wonder sometimes whether we or we uh, media organisations, the people making the decisions, overstate the appeal of that player access and overstate the extent to which people are hanging on every word that players have to contribute to the analysis, because often. Often that they just end up parroting what the coach would have said anyway. Okay, I'll ask you this: What do you think the viewers at home want to see more of that they're not seeing on the on on a, a match telecast or or on post game shows or whatever? I think. Oh look, it's hard. I, sometimes you need to think like a kid, and. Young kids... Would like... Some would say we're both guilty of doing that a no, lot. No. no, I think we're more guilty of being sort of jaded old men. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, but sometimes, you know, you need to think like a kid. So kids want to see more of their heroes and hear them talk during the game. I would like to see more... The player access, I would like to see more of. Any player that goes down into the rooms for an injury 
checkup. I'd yeah. love if they were followed by a camera. Well, you're seeing a lot more of that. You saw Nick Natanui in the rooms afterwards. Now, this is quite invasive, but I'm saying, as a matter of course, have cameras that basically, you know, every player... So you can almost have an insert square. He's gone down into the rooms. Mm. You know, we had that thing with Cruiser a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It really wasn't until after half-time that we knew how serious it was. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd like to follow... He's gone down into the rooms. I'd like to be able to see that whole thing unfold. Is there an argument, you know, just getting back to the point you made before, is there an argument that there that that is giving the opposition an unfair um, advantage in that? Not if, it, not if it becomes standard for all teams, all players. Yeah. Maybe that's unfair. Uh, the other thing I'd love to get access to is umpire discussions at quarter time, half time and three quarter time. Oh, yeah. That's not going to happen. I do enjoy the umpires have been mic'd up for quite a while now. Yeah. I do enjoy that. It is, um, it it is, you know, because there'll be times when you just want to know what the thinking is, and the the back and forth between players and umpires I find interesting. And and you know the other part of football that remains mysterious is the work of line coaches, assistant coaches. Yeah, yeah. To find out exactly what. They contribute on match well, you, day would you know, be interesting. Yeah, it would. And you could be in the box there and you could hear the Senior Coach saying, oh, Lemon and Lime go to road, mate. Uh, no, they do. <laughs> they do a lot. I've, I've sat in, well, I've now sat in, uh, sat in the Collingwood box, uh, when Mick Malthouse was coach. I sat in the Bulldogs box when Rodney Eid was coach. Sat in the North Melbourne box when Dean Laidley was coach and sat in the St Kilda box when Richo was coach. And they're all, they all run differently. Um, they're all, it's a fascinating experience. So I think, um, yeah, to be able to actually get the cameras in there and be privy to those discussions. But I think that would be a level of, uh, the, you'd be betraying too much confidential, confidential information there. It'd be too difficult. I agree with you on the huddles. The more I think about it, and they remember we're used to that happening in the uh, VFL and even the old VFA days. You know, we used to hear that. I, I, that's great, isn't it? I used to love. I used to love going out at three quarter time in the reserves. Yeah, every year. Every, you know, you used to be allowed on the ground to listen at three quarter time and quarter time. Yeah, in the reserves. Yeah, I remember going out a quarter time in a St Kilda South Melbourne game at Moorabbin. Yeah, and having a go at Michael Wright, accusing him of not having the same father as Stephen Wright. Two brothers who played for. South Melbourne, one was five foot seven and red haired, the other was six foot three and black haired. Yeah. And him chasing me and I had to run back and jump the fence. How old were you? Eleven, twelve. <laughs> I went up to him, I said He chased a, you. Yeah. I said, You're a bastard. You got a different father you got a different father than your brother. You said at the age of eleven. Yeah. Jesus funny. <laughs> and he was like three foot away from me. Yeah. And he went to grab me yeah. and I just ran and <laughs> All right, I've, I've, okay, you, you, I've got one. Um, 1980, so I was 15. We went to Essendon, uh, did make the finals in the, v, in the seniors, but the reserves did. So we went to VFL Park for the first week of the finals to watch the seconds play. Got there for the start of the game, so it's, you know, 10 a.m. or whatever it was. Um, and two men and a dog there, and you could Waverley, you know, when there were no people there, comments would, yeah, and Roger Merritt was playing for Essendon seconds, and he it was long before Roger's arrival as a consistent good player. He ran head first into a goalpost and yep. almost knocked himself out, and we were just pissing ourselves about it. And I can't remember what the comment was, but he had time to sort of regather his composure, turn around, and flip the bird to these three yeah. teenage boys in the way for the crowd. Oh, mate, I had a I had a player, I had a Brisbane player, Martin Leslie. Oh, yeah. Say, so if you do that again, I'm going to jump the fence and belt your head in in a senior game, St Kilda versus Brisbane. Big crowd, obviously. At the Gabba, the ball went through the points, and I did the old VFA thing where I picked the ball up and was handing it to him, and as he reached to grab it, I threw it miles back over his head, oh, and he told me he'd belt my head in if I did it again. Well, good on him. I'm with Martin on that one. And I also said something in a, in a reserves game at Geelong about two players, they both stood up, started laughing, and then patted each other on the back at what I said. 
<laughs> Mark Dwyer and Andrew Wills both die for the ball near the fence. Yeah. And I said, that looked like a, because they're both completely bald. Yeah. I said, oh, that looks like a giant backside ass coming at me. <laughs> <laughs> they both stood up and started laughing and then sort of high-fived each other. That's very good. All right. Uh, I don't think we'll lose our jobs over this segment, will we, today? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, time to move on. On Footyology. Previews with Punch. All right. What a cracking round of footy this is. Um about half the round with obvious ramifications for the top eight. Let's rip straight into it. Uh, big one to start us off Friday night. A decent Friday night game, hopefully. Eddie had Stadium, Essendon taking on Sydney. Uh, you kick us off on this one. Superb meeting of the floundering swans versus the light still flickering bombers. Neither have been playing brilliantly but Essendon have been winning against lesser teams. That all made sense until Sydney lost at home to the Gold Coast. So that almost is a step too far for mine for Sydney. That is completely spinning out of control, unable to pull the reins in on a team that had lost 11 in a row. And that warning signs, you know, Red light flashing has turned into alarm sounding. I tip Essendon in this game because Essendon have found a way in similar games to get to the line. Against Gold Coast, away, even against Freo last week. Now, Essendon know how to win a little bit better at the moment. Across the ground, can they counter Buddy? Yes, I think they can, actually. You know, I know we don't want a hooker chasing him around like the olden days, but I think... Buddy becomes too much of a beacon. No, Essendon for mine. I I have agonised over this game all week because I, I've got a lot of respect for the Swans and I think they play Eddie had particularly well. They've won 15 of their last 17 there. Yeah, but Richmond counted them they comfortably. Did. Essendon, Essendon, I think that's a good comment that they've found a way the last two games. And earlier in the season, there are two games that they probably would have ended up losing. Um Toss of the coin. I reckon it's going to be desperately close. Yeah, look, you know what? I'll probably regret this because I'm the reverse barometer. I'm going to tip the Bombers as well. Buy a kick. You know, if Carlton lost at home to Gold Coast, they would be heavily lambasted. Mm. Sorry, that is the worst of possible losses by Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carlton did lose at home to Gold Coast. Yeah, I'm saying, but, but you know. Yeah, no, you're you, right. You would, you would cut right. them no slack. Yeah. Okay, um, one of the matches of a season, I think, fair to say. What it took about old footy feel is Saturday afternoon, one forty-five, the Pies and the Tigers at the G. Doesn't get much better than that. Jeez, uh, I tell you what, if it's a nice afternoon, that they're going to get in the order of ninety thousand at least. I would have thought. Highest home and away crowd ever. Uh, no, because that's 99,000. We've actually had 13 crowds over history of more than 90,000 in a home and away game, so I don't know why they're predicting that. What record do Richmond and Collingwood hold, though? Um, highest crowd? Uh, highest, not highest crowd on Anzac Day. I know they had a big one yep. on Anzac Day. Um, highest crowd at... I was at this game... Uh, no, I'll give it's up. It's true, there were people in the aisles. Highest ever credit Waverley. It was a final between Richmond and Collingwood. No, I'm sorry, that's not right, because the highest attendance of Waverley was for Hawthorne Collingwood, Queen's birthday, 1981, 93,000. What was uh, the Richmond-Collingwood crowd in the, that final, an elimination final? That was 75. Uh, don't know, we'll look it up. But uh, Hawthorne Collingwood, Queen's birthday, 1981. They got over 90,000, the health department cracked down because the official capacity well, the was only 77. Maybe the highest ever finals crowd because it was clearly over 80,000 there. We'll look it up. Anyway, we're supposed to be previewing the game. Yep. Uh, massive test for the Pies. Uh, look, I, funnily enough, they, the, though they won easily in the end, I was as impressed by their performance last week as any game they've won this year. There was just a real... There's a real sort of powerfulness about it. Their, mid, their yeah, midfield yes. are winning heaps of the ball, but their forward set up at the moment is really dynamic. You know, and you've, you've got Cox, you've got Hoskin Elliott, you've got Stevenson, you've got Dugowie. There are that many different options about it, um, and their defence is a bit undersized, but it's getting the job done anyway, and being undersized is probably less of a problem against the Tigers. 
So uh, <laughs> I'm pumping up the pies. After all that, Richmond have won 17 in a row at the G. Will take the record with one more win. Did beat the pies by 40-odd points first meeting. Uh, I'm going for the Tigers. You know, at the start of the year, Collingwood fans were almost in unison saying that Cox sucks. Now, I'm not saying that we just inverse that comment, but they've certainly changed their mind because Cox is key to their fortunes. And he didn't play a couple of weeks ago against West Coast Eagles, and they lost. He's so vital to that forward setup. I'm tipping Richmond because I've got huge respect for them at the G in an absolute nail. I, I just think this one could be a classic goal for goal, you know, there's never been more than 10 points separated them all day. We uh, both, I think, we we both think that West Coast is the biggest danger to Richmond, don't we? I think Richmond think that, and I think that Richmond... What do you think? Yeah, I, well, when a team feels that, you have to respect that. Yeah. Because I think West Coast, even though Lawson and Natanui count as one of the big advantages West Coast had over Richmond. So you do agree with that? But I agree with it because... Because they think that. Because that's where their deficiencies okay. fall. The whole <laughs> the question was going to be, if Collingwood beat them or push them very close, so they would that the, alter? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think it would too. Because, because I, there's be, no Natanui. Oh, and, and because I think the MCG, I, I think that is, you know, as good as West Coast was. But to beat them, Grundy will have to dominate Nancurvis because that is... A, a, a slight Achilles heel for Richmond, the, the ruck. ruck. And for them to beat them, I expect Grundy to have a huge game. Yep. Well, let's hope it's a ripper anyway. Yeah. Um, Saturday afternoon, 2.10 at GMHBA Stadium. Geelong taking on the vastly improved uh, Brisbane, who won three in a row and respectable, well, very respectable in defeat to the Crows, only lost by kick. So... A month of really good form from Brisbane. Um, Cats, what an epic that was last Saturday night against Melbourne. I, I thought that was probably the best game of the season. Cats, gee, they nearly got knocked over at home, but I, I think I don't. I can't see Brisbane beating them at GMHPA, and I think they'll they'll take a lot out of getting over the line in that Melbourne game. That could be season defining that result for them. So I'm going for the Cats, even though the result was close between Brisbane and Adelaide. There were signs of general fatigue in the yeah. Brisbane team. So you reckon they might fall apart a bit? Both physical and mental. Yeah. Mental up forward with Hipwood. Uh, we look forward to the day where Hipwood every week is a serious target. Yeah. He got bested early on in the game by Alex Keith mm. and never picked up the cudgels. No, that result was flattering. I think Geelong can put this to bed early. Okay, Geelong for both of us. Um, the Saturday Twilight game, 4.35 at Spotless Stadium in Sydney. GWS taking on St Kilda. Be very careful. I actually heard a GWS player interviewed this week on the radio. It might have been Tomlinson. And whoever it was quite rightly pointed out, we have trouble with St Kilda. And they have trouble with St Kilda. Yeah, they really do. Yeah, they've lost to them at Eddie Head. Yeah, they drew that. this year with them. Yeah. Um, they'll win GWS, but they've been up for a few weeks, almost every game of final, and they've won some absolute rippers, you know, most noticeably last week against Richmond. Um, they can't afford any less diligence than what they have shown in recent weeks. There is a danger, and this is a team that has had... Concentration problems, focusing problems. Yep. There is a danger that they don't give this game their full attention. Well, I, I, tipped G, I, tipped, I tipped GWS yeah. with the caveat that they need to be mature in their approach, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, no, they would have definitely got themselves up for that win over Port last week. That was a mass. You could see they'd really psyched themselves up for that. So I suppose... There is a danger of a letdown, but I think generally they've had their momentum going for a while now. I think some key players are, are really starting to hit top stride. They're getting injured players back, sort of coming together for them a bit, a bit more than it did last year, actually, even though they're probably coming off a lower base. So, yeah, I'm going for GWS. I reckon they'll get the job done efficiently yeah, enough. Yeah, I think so. Uh, all right. Gold Coast, Carlton, 17th v 18th at Metricon Stadium, um, 7.35 Saturday nights. Dare say few people other than supporters of either club will be watching that one. 
And uh, we'll do this one fairly quickly. Gold Coast, one of the arguably the best win in their history last week. They were they were great, and I think a lot of people are happy to see that. Can they back it up at home in a game, probably the only game all year where they'll be favourite, just about? Um, yes, I think they can back it up, and I think they will back it up. Can I tip this in the style of Borat? My, uh, my tip? Okay. I tip Carlton. Not. Okay. Thank you. So Gold <laughs> you know, Coast. You time not joke. Yeah, Gold, Gold Coast for both of us. Uh, this is a big one too. 7.40 <laughs> Eastern Standard Time. Adelaide taking on Melbourne at Adelaide Oval. Demons heartbreak last week after they'd played so well to get themselves that win and then uh, lost concentration that last quarter and then actually recovered a bit of poison and lost it again in the last minute. Um, Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> great game. Um, Crows at home. I still, I don't know if I'm sort of investing too much in this, but I still think Adelaide at home are a, a pretty reasonable side. They've still got, you, s- you spoke about Essendon's flickering finals hopes. The Crows still have them as well. Uh, just got over the line at the Gabba. Um, so Melbourne uh, smashed Adelaide in this equivalent game last year too. So I think the Demons reckon they're okay against the Crows. But Spot I'm, on. Yeah. And they thrashed them in, in the red centre. Yeah, they did, 90-odd uh, points. Yep. And the Adelaide had half a side. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with the Crows, though. Yeah, I'm tipping Melbourne because of uh, recent domination. Watch for the post-siren goings on because given Bernie Vince's loving with Paddy Dangerfield last week, a former Adelaide Crow teammate, now that he's playing the Crows, don't expect Bernie to clear the ground until he's, you know, ass licked the entire oh, team. I couldn't believe the crap about that. No, I, I absolutely yeah, I know, I know. We, we, do, we did it. We talked about it on Footyology TV. Don't do it. I, but... Ha- <laughs> No, we're not going there. Okay. I'll just say there was a photograph taken by Wade, Wayne Ludby in which Bernie Vince looked suitably upset. I also subsequent was it a stock to that, photo from another no, game. There was some footage <laughs> from behind the goals when Tui kicked the goal, yeah. and you can see Vince with his head in his hands. He's clearly as demonstrably upset as anyone. So he copped a unjust whack for that. You saw that image by Wayne Ludby didn't have underneath digitally altered. I'm positive, and I also saw, as I just explained, I also saw the video footage from behind the goals. Let's go to Sunday, North <laughs> Melbourne taking on West Coast and Hobart. Another big game. Uh, almost the hardest game to tip for me, this one. North, great track record at uh, Blundstone Arena. Um, West Coast, though, their credentials on the road this year uh, can't be denied. They've been, In fact, I'm pretty sure they've won six out of seven on the road. And uh, last start, of course, on the road, uh, great win against the Pies at the MCG. Nick Nat, a big loss, yes, but I think Lysette can cover him. Uh, we'll have his work cut out against Goldie, who's a very good ruckman. But um, normally I'd, I'd tip the ruse here, but I just wonder if they've been knocked off their stride a bit. Um, and I think West Coast this year are good enough to win games like this, so I'm going for the Eagles. Is this the longest road trip in football, even though they don't go by road? Uh, what about um, Brisbane to Perth? I don't know. I think I think there's no direct flights from Perth to Hobart. I think you have to interchange. Oh, really? Bom- okay. Bombay and Damascus. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what about the game? <laughs> yeah, no. North are really good in Hobart. Yep. They love playing there. These are foreign conditions to the West Coast Eagles. I think North can bounce back there. Just, you know, remember last year, all-powerful Adelaide, they kicked 10 goals to naught in the first quarter in that game. Yep. They had a really good... When Melbourne were playing their best footy last year, they beat them in a nail-biter. I yep. think they're good in in both, you know, in both controlling the game and fighting out tough ones. And there are some nuances there with that. It's windy, but there's that big stand that shields the wind. I think you need to play there a bit to be good there. Yeah. Hobart, Hobart kangaroos for mine. Okay. Um, speaking about long-distance road trips, how about this one? Port Adelaide playing at Mars. 
on Sunday afternoon. Interchange at Alpha Centauri and very good. Um, now I I watched this equivalent game last year. They had one of game, their, one of the games of the year. Yeah, well, they had one of their best wins of the year. Port um, in this game last year, they were terrific. Wasn't that the discovery of Todd Marshall? Jeez, uh, I don't remember yes, that. It was. I remember that Jared Pollock played a really good game. Yeah. Um, but as you know, I've been pretty bullish about Port all year. I'm starting to waver a bit because uh, that was a Bad loss against GWS last week and bad against Freo the week before. However, that increases the premium on them needing to win. I've still got them finishing in the top four. Bulldogs, eh, a bit of a approaching the rabble-ish stage of doggies. They can't seem to play more than a half a footy. So I'm going for Port to make it two out of two on Mars. Dalhouse missing for the rest of the year. They just continually have players getting quite serious injuries. Um, they play really. It's a really good brand of outdoor football. There, I love watching the game. Keep an eye out for the outer. It's not a normal football outer. It's been sort of landscaped. There's sort of terracotta pot plants and stuff. It's interesting. It's different. It's port for mine. Okay, and uh, round nineteen wraps up with another. It's not one of the top games of the round, but it still has danger, danger written all over it. Fremantle at their beloved Optus Stadium, beloved having only played one season there, taking on Hawthorne, who are eighth, need to keep winning. Um, how do we see this one panning out? I, I'm a rap for the Hawks. I, I think, um, I think by and large they've had a pretty good season. I think their run home is pretty decent. I think their best players are in pretty good form. Luke Bruce has had a fantastic season. Tom Mitchell, 40-plus virtually every week those days. Incredible from him. I think Burgoyne comes back this week. I think Amira's fit. Um, Frio, really good win at home a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what did they do last week, Frio? They tried to beat a... Essendon. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was at the game. How am I going? Um, they were that, good. No, they were okay. They were okay. Um, probably should have been put away by more, though. Is Darcy back? Uh, he's a chance to be. Because that Ruckman was odd. Yeah, they've got um, Sandilands a chance to okay. come back too. What was his name? Jones or something? Yeah, Jones. Um, looks a bit like, yeah, anyway. Uh, Billy Bal- was like, mate, um, you know, uh, sort of catamatite aren't playing here. He really looked like some country footballer that lobbed up at, at, at any hand. I think uh, they've got a few who are a chance to come back. I think Stephen Hill, Ballantyne, both a chance as well. So some pretty big ifs there, but... I like Hawthorne in those sort of games. I, I still, maybe I'm still a subscriber to the old Hawthorne, but I, I still think their best is uh, enough to cause a fair bit of anxiety among opponents. I think this is a game they need to win, so I think they will. And I'm on board with you. I, I think Hawthorne, for no other reason than they're the, going to field the better 22. All right, let's uh, wrap it all up. On Footyology, never again. All right, hard to believe, I know, Fanny, but I've actually got one this week. Um, I went along to the Essendon Freo clash at Etihad Saturday twilight. God, I hate that time slot. That's a shocking time slot, twilight, um, if you're going. And uh, sat in uh, the reserve seat that I seldom get to use, but sat there, took uh, David, my son, along with me, um, dragged him along for his own benefit, had my daughter Andrea with me as well. Anyway, I went, uh, I was a bit hungry, went and got some food, at uh, half time, got a sort of pseudo wrap, lamb wrap sort of thing, uh, a pie, some crumbed chicken and chips, and one drink. Not just oh, some. Oh, God! That was, that was, God, you were hungry! That was for my son and daughter as well. Oh, bullshit. Uh, the. <laughs> we got him. The total uh, bill, 48 or something. Never again am I buying anything other than a pie at the footy. Those prices are absurd. For $48, you could have gone down Victoria Street or yeah, I know. Faux fur. I know. Faux fur, fur, whatever they're called. I could have bathed in faux for $48. <laughs> 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 I know it's $48. Anyway, your and, turn. And you don't need to pretend that it was for you and two other people. It it's was. Okay. No, no, it really was. Okay, go on. Never again will I fall into the very immature belief that a, a team can somehow perform better in a different jumper. 
because I really believe St Kilda versus Richmond that it wasn't our ability last year that saw the upset of the year. It's because we played in purple. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was saying before the game, watch us in purple, watch us. There's something about this, you know, this purple, white and black. We're going to be great. And then we put in the stinkiest first half of all time. So never again think like a nine-year-old, finally. They've worn some weird jumpers. You know the one that always sticks in my head with St Kilda is when Pura Milk was a yeah, sponsor. The, oh, famous. But, they, but they had the yellow ones. Yeah, of course. And it used to make me feel sick because, you know, like if you drink milk, warm milk. and, and uh, citric stuff, it, it made me think of sort of drinking warm milk and then Ugh. pineapple lemonade or something. So looking at those jumpers would automatically make me feel queasy. And it's a pity because one of our greatest wins, and certainly for me, so much pain was heaped on me as a St Kilda fan at Princess Park and our last ever game at Princess Park. Oh, against the Blues. Yeah, just before half time. We were within a kick oh, of being was, 100 points up. Oh, was that that game? Yeah. In yeah. yellow. The yellow, yeah. <laughs> Why'd they go the yellow? And, you know, there were two versions. One actually was almost a direct copy of the Pure Milk Carton. Yeah. And then somebody must have said, that's not St Kilda. So they did another version with sort of red, white, and black ribbing around it, which looked even more stupid. Yeah. No, you're right. We have had some sillies. All right, uh, that takes us out for this week. Um, a great round of footy coming up. There really are some cracking games, so let's hope we get the sort of footy those games would indicate we should. Uh, we're going to continue talking about uh, the rules, no doubt. Finally, you're waving your finger yeah. at me. It means you've got an well, aside. Or... No, just an aside, you know, because Gil McLaughlin said we might trial the new adjustments mm. in games that don't affect finals. Yeah. Why don't they trial it at Gold Coast? Carlton, because that way no one will know whether they did or they didn't anyway. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, who's watching it? Yeah, no, I, yeah, no, not not bad. I think there'll be a few more like that uh, over the course of the weekend. Have a great uh, round nineteen, everyone, and we'll see you on uh, Sunday evening at seven thirty live on Facebook for Footyology TV.